Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Some of us are old enough uh, to have been baseball fans for many years, and we can look back at the start of certain players' careers and see how they had great potential at the outset. What they supposedly were going to accomplish was going to be Hall of Fame-type stuff. One such player is the photograph on the screen behind me. Anybody recognize him? That's Daryl Strawberry. Mm -hmm. Lighten up. It's been years, for goodness sake. <laughs> I remember specifically when Daryl Strawberry came up, the talk was that he was going to be the next Willie Mays or um, the next Mickey Mantle. It, it never happened. It just didn't happen. Derailed by substance abuse and a lifestyle that was hedonistic because his profession allowed for that sort of thing, if you will. He had the money. It frequently got him into trouble with the law. He never lived up to what could have been a Hall of Fame career. Now, that's sad, but imagine how tragic that would be for us as followers of Jesus. Imagine getting to the end of your earthly Christian life and know in your heart of hearts that you never lived up to God's potential for you. I think it would be something like what is described in the parable of the talents, where the master gives three different individuals three different talents, levels of talent, if you will. And in the case of the third one, that person took that talent and rather than put it to use, buried it. And so when the master returned, rather than hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, he was told that he was wicked because he had wasted what had been given to him. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want that to be said of me, nor of Bayside Chapel, nor of any of you individually. We have been blessed over these years to see God work through us in the lives of many people. But the danger in that is that we can become complacent. So the question we are asking this morning, as we begin a new series that we're calling Revision, where in over the next three weeks, we will look at what we believe as a leadership team, God is putting in our hearts, and we definitely want to give you the opportunity to speak into that, but we want to bring you up to where our thinking is. And so as we do that, the question that we're asking, as we look at the next five years, is very similar to a question we asked some years ago for the first vision process that we had. What might Bayside Chapel look like if we let God get a hold of us? Well, now the question is slightly different. What might we look like if we continue 
to allow get, uh, God to get a hold of us. We want to become, in practice, all that God has given us the potential to become. And I am convinced that that means that the Lord Jesus must be seen through us. That's what needs to happen. This morning, we're going to look at a passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you have a Bible, turn to the letter to the Colossians, or you can find it on, the, on your app or on your phone, whatever you prefer. This is Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24 to 29. That's going to be our text for the morning. And in this passage, we are going to see three things that we must embrace for Jesus to be seen through us. Three things that we must embrace for that to become a reality. Here's the first. We must take hold of what God has made us. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I make up what is, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul is beginning to describe to the Colossians his ministry. And he refers to the fact that his ministry, like all true ministry, can come with a price. He speaks of suffering for the sake of the church. And we read about that suffering in other letters that he wrote. What was true of Paul, we may expect to be true of us. Paul's calling and mission is similar to ours because it's the same great commission that the Lord Jesus gave all of his followers. Fulfilling our ministry can bring affliction, can bring suffering. Now, this word that is translated suffering is not the same word that is used to describe Jesus' suffering on the cross. However, it is used of Jesus in regard to his suffering as he conducted his ministry that led up to the cross. There was affliction that he knew. Think about it. During his ministry, Jesus experienced ridicule, scorn, and rejection. That never happens to us, right? That's been true of the church throughout its history. And it's true even today. Many sold-out servants for Christ have known great affliction, great suffering, and sometimes even terrible death for their commitment to what Christ has called them to. But that suffering is nothing compared to the glory that will be ours. There may be a price, but it's worth it. And so now as Paul begins to describe in detail this ministry to which he's been called, the first thing he says in verse 25 is, regarding the church, of which I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. He says he was made a minister. That means that Paul was passive in this. Now, what I mean by that is, Paul didn't set out to be what he became. Did, did any of you ever set out to, on a path that you thought would lead you to where you are in your walk with the Lord? I didn't. I never, I never meant to be a pastor. I was a music teacher. All, that's all I wanted to be years ago. I was a music teacher. I was a music teacher for 16 years. Oh, this wasn't my plan. How many of you can say, you know, I never would have dreamed as a, that I'd be a servant of Jesus Christ? That there was a time in your life where you would went <clears throat> at the suggestion. That was Paul's story. He was walking a very different road 
when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says he was made a minister. Now, we have a connotation about the word minister. Let me show you how it works. You know, you're at a party. Nobody's doing anything stupid, but, you know, you're having fun. You're being normal. And then the pastor shows up, and you go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Nobody ever does that to me. (laughs) They know better. It's like, yeah, he's as weird as the resident. You know, we have, this, we have this inflated view of minister. Well, guess what? That word in the time of the Apostle Paul, use of it, simply means a lowly, common servant who's at the beck and call of his master. This is a very lowly, common position. He says that he is a shepherd, a minister, for the sake of the church. It was for the church's benefit, the benefit of the body of Christ, that Paul did what he did. And that made whatever suffering he may have experienced worth it. He also knew, and as we, that he has a stewardship. He says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God for your sake. Stewardship is this idea of management. That Paul understood that he had been entrusted Entrusted by whom? It's an audience participation question. God. Yeah, you know, we say we trust God. Did you ever think of the fact that God's trusting you for something? That we have had entrusted to us the management of something that does not belong to us. That is the church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that he had been entrusted to serve Jesus Christ in ministering to the church. Each of us has been made a minister. There are no exceptions. It may not look like what a pastor does or what the person sitting next to you does, but we've all been made a minister and trusted by God for the sake of the body of Christ. And we must be humble because no effective work in the kingdom can be done by a prideful person or a prideful church. That was a lesson Bayside Chapel had to learn about 13 years ago. Like Paul, we have been entrusted by God for the sake of each other. For what he purchased with his own blood, the church of Jesus Christ. We are what we are by the working of God. And we must take hold of what God has made us. That's the first thing we need to embrace If Jesus is going to be seen through us, we take hold of what God has made us. Here's the second. We take hold of our mission. To make the word of God fully known. In verse 20, uh, the end of verse 25. This is Paul's ministry to the church. This is Paul the pastor. Paul the evangelist did not make God's word fully known. Did you ever think about that? Why? Why? Because it's impossible to make the fullness of the gospel known in the context of evangelism, as important as evangelism is. Make no mistake, evangelism is the first step of discipleship. That's why we call our evangelism training class Discipleship 1.0. People need to know of their need for their forgiveness from sin. They need to know of God's provision at the cross through the death of Jesus Christ. They need to know that God raised him from the dead and choose then to place their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin for what he did for them. That's the beginning of the gospel, not the end. 
Once a person is saved, they need to grow. I mean, it happens with our children, and it happens with us as children in Christ. We need to mature. The gospel is the essential ingredient for that growth. And that's what Paul's referring to when he says to make the word of God fully known to you, for you, to the church. Paul would have come short of God's potential for him if all he ever did was just evangelize, as critical as that work is. He preached the gospel, but he preached it to the church too. Not only the message of what Christ did for them, but the truth that he will speak of in these next few verses. You see, he tells us that this word of God that is to be made fully known is a mystery, hidden for ages and generations, and now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The gospel begins with what Christ did for us. It continues with a mystery. Now, what is a mystery? Well, it's not, you know, it's not that. I went to college to learn how to do that. A mystery is a reality. It's a truth. It's always been there. But at a certain time, it wasn't made clearly known or fully disclosed. In the context of the Bible, you see this in the New Testament, it refers to things to which the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, may have referenced or hinted at, but did not make fully clear. But now has been made known and been made fully clear to those of us who are part of the New Covenant, to the saints. Who that? Who are the saints? Thank you. He did this. So that those who are not yet God's people would know the riches of the glory of that mystery. That's our mission. It is to make clear the mystery in all of its glorious riches. Why? Because that truth, this truth, this mystery is absolutely essential to us to fulfill our mission. Don't get this mystery don't proclaim it, and we don't fulfill our jobs. It's just as much a part of the gospel as the fact that Jesus died for us. So what is it? He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in these few words, the Apostle Paul sums up an, a part of the gospel that, I'm, that far too many Christians do not really come to terms with. And that is why I think the church seems so impotent in a culture that is increasingly moving away from God and his ways. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I'd like you to have these words sink in for just a moment. Christ is in me. Say it to yourself. Come on, we'll play Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Good morning, boys and girls. Can you say Christ in me, the hope of glory? I'll wait. You know, it doesn't feel right, does it? Feels kind of weird to say that for some of us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. If that feels weird to say, don't let it. Because that's the truth. That's what it says. 
It is a part of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation, both for the future and for today. And this is not the only place where Paul describes this reality. Look at, the, look at what Jesus, actually Jesus himself says it in the gospel of John, talking to his disciples about what's going to be their understanding when he rises from the dead. In that day you will know, like I know that I know that I know, you know? I know. You will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why? Why does the living Christ live in every believer? So that we can try to do stuff on our own? It's because he wants to accomplish wherever you are. That that might be realized. It's this to which Jesus refers when he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you ever realize how busy a church can look, how busy a pastor could look, how busy a Christian can look? Doing nothing. It can look good. But they're doing absolutely nothing because it's not Christ. It's them. The problem with me was I was doing that and I was clueless. I know. Some of you think I've been clueless all my life. Guess what? You're partially right. We can look so good doing it from us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Do you understand that Jesus' mission was not just to get people into heaven? Did you know that? Think about this. If all Jesus came to do was to get you into heaven by dying in your place on Calvary's cross and rising from the dead to prove that we could trust him and you placed your faith in Jesus, what are you doing here? If it was, the, if it was to get us to heaven, why are we here? Something's wrong. That's not the whole reason that Jesus did what he did. He did it also so that he, so that he could live in and through his followers to deal with that sin problem so that he can indwell us. Jesus gave his life for you in order to give his life to you so that he might live that life through you. There's no exceptions. Listen to this quote. This is what God had in mind when he sent his son. Not just to get us out of hell and into heaven, but to get the God of heaven into you and me. So that Christ, living in our hearts, might be our hope of bringing God out into the open where he can be seen to his glory. That's not just for pastors. That's not just for elders. It's not just for Yankee fans. It's for every follower of Jesus. This is the hope of our glory. This is biblical, Jesus-based assurance. It's something about which we are certain. This is not hope with a question mark. This is hope with an exclamation point. It is glory, not just for the future, but for now. It's the reality of Jesus Christ now. And so as those who've been reconciled, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus can live his life through all who belong to him. 
Our gospel includes the wondrous message that Christ's life continues to this moment through all those who rely on him to live that life through us. I can see how excited you all are. (laughs) To fulfill our mission, we declare the glorious truth of an indwelling Christ. That's why Paul says in the next verse, or the next passage, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, make no mistake about it, if we are to reach our God-given potential, whether individually, as a family, or as a church, we must center ourselves on the person, work, and message of Jesus Christ. Why? There is no Christianity without Jesus Christ. There is no gospel that does not mention the need for the finished work and the reality of a living Christ. There are plenty of so-called churches filled to the brim that never preach the message of redemption through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We can talk about God all day, every day, day after day, and you probably won't offend most people, but mention Jesus Christ. And watch what happens. You know, those two words are a curse for a lot of people. Jesus Christ. If we never talk about the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have not preached him. We have not preached the gospel. No Jesus, no gospel, no hope. Can you see why it's so strategic in the days in which we live to understand this? Don't worry about how they respond. We just do our job. And so as true as all of that is, we fail if we do not preach all of the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? The gospel is the message of Jesus' finished work for us. You can't be a Christian if you don't understand that. You take hold of what Jesus has done for you. Now let me suggest that that's the first half of the gospel. The gospel also includes the fact of our union with Christ in his death, resurrection, and having been seated with him at the right hand of God. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. You ask most Christians, what happened at the cross? And they'll tell you, well, you know, Jesus died for my sin. Yeah, what else happened? Well, um, he shed his blood. Yeah, well, so that I could be cleansed. Uh Uh-huh. What else happened at the cross? At the cross, God did a thing to make it possible for the one who died on the cross and rose again to live in you. Now. Christ's life continues through God's people. The gospel tells us that because of our union with Christ, that you and I, first of all, have been set free from sin's authority. Because when he died, the sinner that I was died with him. Look at this passage. We know that our old being 
has been put to death with Christ on the cross in order that the power of the sinful self might be destroyed so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For when a person dies, he's set free from the power of sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, did you know that you're not what you were? Did you know you're not a sinner saved by grace? That you were a sinner saved by grace? There's a big difference between am and were, you know. What did God do to that person? He crucified him with Christ. Consider the good news of our union with Christ. Because of our union with him and his death, we've been set free from sin's authority, but it doesn't end there. Secondly, we've been raised with Christ. Since we become one with him in dying as he did, in the same way we shall be one with him in being raised to life as he was. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, hear the tense, it's all done, raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Guess who qualifies as anyone? The hunk of flesh sitting in your chair. And the hunk of flesh behind the podium. I have more hunk than some of you. And I'm not proud of it. When we preach the gospel of Christ, we must preach all of it. The gospel includes Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if we proclaim anything less, we fail to communicate all of the good news God has called us to proclaim. Let me say it again. If we do not communicate all of the gospel, we have failed to communicate what God has called us to proclaim. Yes, Our message will get people out of hell, but it will set Christians up to go through their lives wandering around in the wilderness of their own self-reliance. And that is why there are so many Christians living defeated Christian lives rather than victorious ones. Doesn't mean you don't have trouble. Doesn't mean you don't have problems. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. His work for us makes us ready for heaven. But Jesus in us makes it possible for us to fulfill our God-given potential on earth. To become what he wants us to be. So why is it so critical to our mission? To know this and to trust the indwelling Christ. Because we can't do any of it. Jesus said it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus gave his life for us so that he would give his life to us so that by means of our dependence on Christ in us, the hope of glory, he might live that life through us. We're to proclaim Christ in words and actions that can only be reasonably explained by those who see it as the activity of the Son of God. How's that for a goal? Christ, the hope of glory, living through his people. The second thing we are to embrace is that we are to declare the glorious truth of the indwelling Christ. That's our message. And then the third thing we must embrace is how to do this. And we are to do it by pursuing the goal excuse me, uh, pursuing. We pursue the goal using God's resources, not ours. 
We pursue the goal using God's resources. The staff's taught me a phrase over the last few years that goes like this. Big, hairy, audacious goal. A BHAG. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Basically, it means something that we understand we cannot accomplish, therefore we must, have, we must trust God to do it. And Paul had a big, hairy, audacious goal too, and it must be the same for us. It was that we may present some. Hmm? Everyone, complete or mature in Christ. There's the goal. The object of our mission is to present to God people made complete in Christ. To do this, to do this is to, to realize our potential. It's what drove the Apostle Paul. It is what must drive us. The goal is uncountable numbers of people who are fully developed and perfected by the living and dwelling Christ. People who, according to the scriptures, are filled up to all the fullness of God, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then they, in turn, will be used by the same God to do the same thing for other people. You know, just because someone's come to faith in Christ doesn't mean they're mature. See that little precious one over there? Not you, ma'am, the one you're holding. No offense. You, you know, she doesn't, mom doesn't want her to stay. It is a girl, isn't it? Yeah. Mom doesn't want her to stay like that. She wants her to what? Grow. We have to grow. I grow two directions, up and out. The key to Christian growth is knowing what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. It's the key. It's the key truth to a person that, must, that a person must embrace to become mature. And that requires gospel-centered instruction and teaching and training because only the gospel will do that. And then Paul says this, toward that end, for this, this goal of presenting every person complete in Christ, I toil, I labor, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works in me. In pursuit of this goal, Paul says, I toil. It requires effort for the indwelling Christ to be seen through me. It is an effort of selflessness. I have to remember it's not about me. It is an effort of dependence. I have to remember to simply trust him. That's because we naturally will try to do his work from our resources. And that is a recipe for failure and for frustration. It must be not I, but Christ. And because we cannot do that in our own strength, God provides his. Let me illustrate it this way. Carol Ann, may I have that? Maurice, can you do me a favor? Can you just stay right there? Can you catch? Yeah. Okay. So I have Pastor James's baseball glove, which makes me realize, ooh, it belongs to a Red Sox fan, but I'll hold on to it anyway. <laughs> now watch. This is you. The object, what is this created to do? Catch the ball. Maurice? Just go ahead. It'll catch it. Yeah. You could have been a little more gentle. Will this glove ever do what it's been designed to do all by itself? No way. One more time, brother. 
Now, my hand is the indwelling Christ. Energizing this. Not too hard, I'm old. Yeah, that'll be working. That's what it's... Really? I'm preaching the gospel. They clap because I catch with the... I never understood that. Do you understand the point, gang? This, this is what God has made us to accomplish in Christ. But unless it's Christ operating in the vessel, it cannot do what it was designed to do. And so Paul says it must be Christ. I toil according to all of his energy that works mightily within me. The effort is to trust Christ to be the hand in the glove, me, to do the work. God has given us everything we need to present every person complete in Christ. He supplies his energy. That Greek word uh, does not ever refer to human power. It only refers to supernatural power, either Satan's or God's. In this case, obviously, God's. But we put in the effort to trust Christ to be the one doing the work through us. It's a life-changing thing for us, and it's a life-changing thing for other people. Now, where in any of this have I promised you that you will feel something? It's not there. We receive it by faith. You know that when you take, if you know that when you take your last breath, you're going, you're going to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, because God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that you would not perish but have everlasting life if you believe in him. Well, the same word of God tells you this. We are empowered with the, with the power of an indwelling Christ, energy from God to do a mighty work for his glory. God's energy is potential within us, we have to tap it by faith. And when we do, it's like dynamite that goes off. It's a mighty blast. That blast is the action of God's energy working. And when it works, it works in a mighty way. This is the potential for every follower of Christ. He will work in and through us by our trust in him to do so. That is how we become all God has given us to become. The result will be that there will be though, that we will be so transformed by Christ that he will use us to transform our communities for Christ. And here's, here's the great benefit to us. When the Christ in you is trusted to live through you, there won't be relational conflict. When the Christ in two Christian spouses is trusted to live through them, there'll never be consideration of ending the marriage. When the Christ who is in the Christian parent is trusted to live through that parent, the children will see what godly parents are. What they do with it is not on you. But that, they'll see the real thing. When the Christ in any believer is trusted to live through that believer, there will be fruitfulness that lasts and brings glory to God, while at the same time bringing great satisfaction to the fruit bearer. When the Christ who is in you is trusted to live through you, you will not only know the experience of love, joy, peace, and self-control, but those around you will see things like kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience. They will see Jesus through you. Now listen to this statement. One of my, fa one of my favorite authors said it this way. 
<laughs> to be in Christ, that's redemption. For Christ to be in you, that's sanctification. To be in Christ makes you fit for heaven. For Christ to be in you fits you for earth. To be in Christ changes your destination. For Christ to be in you changes your destiny. The one makes heaven your home. The other makes this world his workshop. The Christian life is the life that the Lord Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, lived by him in you now. In order for us to become what God would have us become, there are three things. We take hold of what God has made us, we declare the truth of the indwelling Christ, and we pursue the goal using God's resources. You know, there's only really one explanation for the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and that is that the Christ whom he preached was allowed to live through him. And we must not make the mistake of thinking that what Paul says about himself here is really only true for him and not for us. That's a lie that the enemy would love for us to embrace. The truth is, the same Jesus who lived in and through Paul is ready to live in and through us to do whatever his agenda is. Jesus made it possible for us to become the vessel through which he expresses himself wherever we are. And that leads then to some important questions we have to ask ourselves. Do I know the reality that we've been talking about? Do I know the reality of Christ in me? Do I understand and embrace by faith the implications of that reality? Have I learned what it means to say I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me? So that when people see my life, they see something that can only be explained as the reality and the activity of Jesus Christ through me? If I answer yes to these questions, then I'm ready to toil according to all of his energy that would work mightily in me. But if you can't say yes to all those things, don't feel badly. I've got good news for you. Bayside Chapel is committed to people knowing this part of the gospel. And we have resources to facilitate you to know and apply the truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, there was a great change in the life of Daryl Strawberry. Did you know that? He never lived up to his potential as a baseball player, but God. Daryl came to faith in Jesus Christ and now has a powerful testimony that he shares, particularly within the realm of overcoming addiction. Now he is fulfilling his greatest potential. This first week of walking through our vision for the next five years focuses on our becoming. It's about what God has for all of us in Christ. We want to see God transform every man, woman, and child towards spiritual maturity. That means that Christ will be fully formed in all of us so that we can fulfill that potential. God has given everything that we need so that Christ may be seen by those around us. The goal is that they also would become the means by which Jesus would be seen through them. That is what we have the potential to become. Rely on Jesus to shine through you. He's ready to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth.
It may be difficult, perhaps, for some of us. Father, thank you that for all of us who have placed our faith in Christ, that you have brought us into Christ. We are in him, and he is in us. Whatever you want, bring us to a place of total availability to you. Thank you that you've called each of us to be common, humble servants, to make known your truth, the word fully known, to make known a great mystery of the, the living Christ living in and through his people. And toward that end, Lord, that we might be used by you to present every person complete in Christ and that we would exert the effort of selfless trust in you to do it. Thank you that you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.